Welcome back to another podcast of Risen Making Disciples. We're glad you're with us, and we've been studying about discipleship, and we're in a four-part series called The Cost of Discipleship. The first one centered on how to connect with God and basically just looked at Bible reading, the importance of Bible reading, the importance of uh, Scripture memory, and then prayer. And I would just uh, say in this and reminding you about prayer, uh, I think it's uh, very evident the way God created us. He gave us two ears and one mouth which means we should listen to him twice as much as we speak. And the more we sit and be still and know that he is God, the more we'll be able to connect with him and his will and his purpose for our life. So today we're going to move on to the O of cost of discipleship. And the O stands for obey. And you can simply ask yourself the question almost every day that you get up out of bed, how am I going to obey Christ today? Well, one of the great passages of all of scriptures that I love with all my heart is found in the second chapter of Philippians, and it's called one of the highest Christological passages of all of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul is writing in here about the very importance of who Christ is. As a matter of fact, just before that, he says, let nothing be done out of rivalry or selfish ambition, which us as human beings, we have that sinful nature in us that makes us look out for number one. And we can put ourselves not only in front of Jesus Christ, but even put ourselves more important than others. So he said, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or rivalry, but in humility, consider others to be more important than yourself. And so if you want to obey Christ and you're going to be Christ-like in your attitude with other people, you, you consider them more important yourself. And Paul goes on in this passage and he talks about uh, being like Christ. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then that transition takes place in verse 9 where he says, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above all other names, that name of Jesus Christ, that uh, at the name of Christ, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, it's interesting in the culture we've grown up with in America, especially since the time that I've been alive, I've seen a transition really take place in what we do in sharing Christ with all the world, we put forth this great effort to see if uh, Jesus is your Savior. And the thing about it is when you look through Scripture, Jesus is the one, the only one who can save, but it never really talks about Jesus uh, so much in our relationship with Him about being our Savior. It's just like right there. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Savior. And once we submit to Christ as Lord, then there is no doubt, there's no question that He is the truth, and the truth is that He will save us if He's our Lord. And I often quote David Platt and a lot of things that I've listened to him, and as he was teaching one night in one of the secret churches, he said this, he said, there is no way that these two words can go together in one sentence. You can never say, no, Lord. If he's your Lord, the only thing you can say is yes. 
You need to be as submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church, as what Jesus, when he was the form of the bondservant, was to his Father in heaven. He was completely obedient to him. As a bondservant, he had willingly gave up his life. That's what a bondservant is. It isn't a, uh, a man that's put in indenture as a slave. This is one who said, my life will be better as a servant for you than it would be what I can do of it myself, and literally gave their whole life to be the servant for that person. And Jesus gave his whole life to be a servant to his father and be obedient to him, not only to just to death. This isn't like the marriage relationship that we have here on earth where we say, till death do us part or as long as life shall last. That's a great covenant and a great vow that a man and a woman make together. But Jesus was obedient beyond even that. He was willing to not only to die, he was willing to suffer the worst kind of death that would have ever been possible. And he did that not because of his sin, but he did that for our sin. And he did that not not so much as what he was thinking about you and me. Uh, again, I remember David Platt saying about how there's a lot of songs and there's a lot of theology out there about when Jesus was dying on the cross, you were on his mind. And unfortunately, that's, that's not really true. The only thing that was on Jesus' mind as he was dying on the cross was to be obedient to his Father and to leave the results of his obedience into the Father's hands so that the Father's will and the Father's purpose would be accomplished. The only person that God, that Jesus was thinking of when he was dying on the cross was God his Father and being obedient. Now, if we as a bondservant to Jesus Christ can become that way, if we can empty ourselves of everything of who we are and saying, Lord, fill me up now, since I've gotten rid of everything in me, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Now I want to be able to obey you and, and I will follow you as long as I live and I will follow you even if it means giving an ultimate sacrifice to you. So now when Jesus was on earth and uh, before he died as our sacrifice and long before Paul ever wrote this passage of scripture, Jesus was trying to train his disciples and he was in that very critical moment right before he was going to offer himself as a sacrifice to the world. And almost all of us remember the last words that people have said uh, just before they died when they knew death was coming. And Jesus was working with each one of his disciples and trying to be able to release them to continue the ministry that Jesus had begun. And Jesus knew he was going back to the Father and the whole kingdom of heaven was now going to be in the hands of these 12 or 11 men as one defected. And so he was training them to be able to go out and do the same things he had, had seen them do. Uh, and so Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. He says this in John chapter 14. He said, if you love me, you obey me, you will keep my words. And, and if we say we love him and, and we don't obey what he's told us to do, then that's really a hypocrite. A hypocrite is one who says one thing and does another. And although we're not perfect in anything that we do in our life, we can keep from being hypocritical by letting the plans of our heart be what will bring glory uh, to the Father through the things that we think, through the uh, words that we say and the actions that we take. If we do those things that, that uh, prove our love to Jesus by obeying him, then the kingdom of heaven will expand and people will not be turned off by the witness of Christ if we obey what he says. And Jesus, he called his disciples at the beginning of the ministry. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
And so if we are not fishing for men, we may not be the followers of Christ that we think we are. And so the rest of the years that Jesus spent with those disciples as he called them out, as he was training them, he was training them not just in a a classroom setting. I mean, he was like uh, teaching them as they walked through life. And uh, as we were preparing for this podcast, I thought it was very interesting that uh, just yesterday or day before, our president signed a a new bill uh, about – you know, bringing apprenticeship back to the United States and trying to get uh, things out there where the workforce would be greater, where people are mentoring one another and passing on their skills to one another. And that's exactly what Jesus did with those 11 men. And they were faithful to that to the point of their death. And because they uh, were, we have the uh, kingdom of heaven across this globe today, but needs to be ever expanding. And if we don't get back to a, uh, mentoring one another and walking with one another in life and, and making sure that we're holding each other accountable, are you obeying Christ? Are you sharing about the kingdom of heaven and the name of Jesus as you live? If we would do that, we would be able to take back a lot of darkness that's in this world and bring it into the light. And so he just said, if you love me, you you will obey me. Now, the problem is, I, as I see it, and I'm thankful to Dave Miller, a good friend of mine that works with us He in the No Place Left Oklahoma City, OKC, and he talked about this one time. He said the way we uh, address uh, learning and following Christ is we will hear a truth of Christ. And when we hear that, it will kind of spark our interest. And with that spark of interest, we'll, hey, I need to learn a little bit more about that. So we'll get with people and we'll open up our Bibles or we'll do a Bible study and we'll learn more about that until we get to the point, okay, now I understand that. And once we have heard and we've learned and we understand, then it comes to the point, are we going to obey these things? And unfortunately, most of the times when we're in these settings, we, we do hear, we do learn, and we understand, and we close our books, and we walk away and go try to hear something else and learn something else and understand something else, and we never get around to the point of obeying. And as Jesus was talking to his disciples here in John chapter uh, 14, he literally said, if you love me, you will obey me. And his uh, plan was, hear the truth of God and obey the truth of God. Don't sit and question it, whether it's right or wrong. Don't try to dig deeper into it. Don't even completely comprehend. If Jesus said to do this, do it. Obey it. And if you do, you love him. And then here's what was interesting about it. Later in that same chapter, around verse 26, Jesus was saying, once you hear my truth and then you obey it, you don't have to worry about it because things will begin to happen because when I leave, then the Father's going to send another and He's going to be the Spirit of truth and He'll come. And he's going to bring into your memory everything that I've taught you. So if you hear it and obey it, then the Spirit will come along and help you learn what that is. And you learn that through the experience of obedience. And once you uh, are obedient and you begin to have the Holy Spirit working in your life, you'll sit down at night and you'll think about what God has brought you through. And it's like the light will come on and then you'll begin to understand. It's like the fog will be blown away. It's like the light will come on in a dark place and you'll go, aha, that's what Jesus was saying. And you get that through that simple step of hearing, obeying, and then trusting that the Holy Spirit is in charge to take you to the point of learning what you're obeying to be able to understand how that's fitting into the kingdom of God. I mean, you can hear truth all your life of what's taught in Scripture. And as you do, you go, yeah, 
okay, I, I understand that, but I really haven't experienced that. And I think of one of the truths that in the Bible that I've heard since a child is Romans eight twenty eight, And it's one of the most often most misquoted scriptures in the Bible telling about if you follow Christ, everything's going to be good. And a lot of people will reference that scripture to say that. The thing of it is, is it doesn't say all things are good. Paul writes in Romans 8, all things work together for good. He doesn't say all things are good. He said all things, whether they're good, what we deem good or bad or indifferent, all things can work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according uh, to his word. And as a 18-year-old high school student, my wife and I, about six weeks before we graduated high school, we got married. It wasn't because we had to or anything. It was five years before we had children. We just were deeply in love and wanted to get married. And the best man at my wedding was uh, the brother that is two years older than me. He was my best man. He was the one that always been that big brother that looked out for me. We had my older brother and, and my middle brother, and he were real close. And as the youngest, I was real close to the middle brother, and the oldest brother and I were very distant until six months after our wedding, that brother that was my best man was killed in an airplane crash. And that was the very first crisis that our family had ever, ever experienced. As a matter of fact, I got a little mad at God. I was like, God, I've always heard you're a loving God. I always heard you're a kind God. Why would you allow that airplane to crash and kill six OU students? Why, you know, why didn't you bring that thing in? And I, for years, that just boiled in my spirit. I just never saw how that could ever work for good for the kingdom of heaven. And I mean, I, I let that stand between me and God. I turned my back on God and on the church for about eight years, never attended. But God wasn't through with us, and thank God that he's faithful when we are faithless. And he reached out and still got our family and brought us back to himself. And I got back into church and still working in the oil field. And then God opened the door for me to leave the oil field and go into ministry. I was working with youth, and then I switched to work with college and singles. And that's really interesting because I didn't even take the ACT test to go to college. I uh, never lived a day in my life as a single adult. I moved out of the home with my mom and dad as a senior in high school and moved into a trailer house with my wife. So I never lived one day as a single adult. Now I'm ministering to these two groups of people. I've never been engaged in their lifestyle, college and singles. And I'll never forget, we uh, were at a real growing church at First Baptist Moore at that time. And uh, there was one lady who had come to church all the time. She was very faithful in Sunday school teaching and children's department and everything. And she was only 35 years old, and a, uh, she had a, a brain uh, aneurysm at work, and she collapsed at work. And they got her, because she worked in a hospital, they got her in a surgery, and she lived for less than 72 hours, and then she died. And we were sitting in staff meeting, and there were about seven of us on staff at that time. And we were sitting there, and... Um, the pastor looked at me and said, well, now her widower, uh, he's a single, so Mike, you're the singles uh, pastor. You go and minister to him. And by the way, uh, everybody thinks he's like either an atheist or an agnostic, so you know, go see what you can do. And I'm sitting over there kind of scratching my head like, dude, you, you're the one that has the, you know, the doctorate degree. I'm an uh, oil-filled logger and perforator and trying to figure out what ministry is all about. Why don't you go talk to him? I didn't say that. So that's what I was thinking. I was still obedient to him because he was my boss. And Freddie went with me, and we went over to this man's house. And I remember getting out of the car, walking up that sidewalk to the front door, and there were 
just fear and trepidation in my heart. I'm like, what do you say to a man who's just lost his wife? You know, mid-30s, they have a five-year-old daughter. He never goes to church. She was faithful in church. I'm like, what am I going to do here? And so Freddie and I were really just in our own spirits. We didn't just bow our heads and pray, but in our own spirits, we were praying desperately to the Lord to do something. And we knocked on that door, and this man opened the door, and we went in. And we stayed in his house for about an hour and a half. And as we were talking to him, I began to realize, I was like, man, I, I have no way of helping you. I don't know what it would be like to lose my, my spouse. Uh, and, and he had even said to me, he said, I have a five-year-old daughter. I don't know how to comb her hair. I don't know how to do her laundry and all those things. That's what my wife did. And I just looked at him and I said, I don't have anything to offer you. I said, but the closest that I can come to this is when my brother was killed 18 years ago. I said, it it just yanked the carpet out from under us. We didn't know what to do. And I started talking about the way I went through the grief and, and just how it took, for me, it took a whole year of getting through the initial reactions because you have birthdays and holidays and anniversaries and all these things that you go through and every one of those kind of reopens that wound that somebody you love is now missing. I said, once you get through that, it's like almost God uses each one of those to give you a little bit more strength. And once you get through that year, you start gaining momentum. You've readjusted to life without your loved one now and you see God taking over. And I said, so when you get to one of those first holidays or something, you know, I think it'll be very difficult, but I think it'll be a way of healing. He said, our wedding anniversary is two weeks from today. I was like, oh, man. I said, you know what? I said, it's going to be tough. I said, but in a way it's going to be a blessing because you're still in the shock of losing your wife so unexpectedly. So maybe you'll be able to get through that, you know, and move through that. And and he literally told me, said, you know what? None of those people down at First Baptist Moore would ever believe that I was a Christian. I said, I've never been to that church. He said, my wife repeatedly tried to get me to go to church and I just always found something else to do. He said, but when I was a teenager, he said, I committed my life to Christ. He said, I haven't lived a good Christian life at all. But he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be at church Sunday. And that man came and he joined our singles group. And lots of things started happening. But when we walked out of that meeting, after about an hour and a half in that house, I looked at my wife and I said, it's been 18 years now since my brother was killed in the plane crash. And that's the very first time that I can literally say that Romans 8:28 was true, that all things do work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. I was like, I would have never dreamed that the pain that I went through in losing my brother would be able to help this man go through the pain of losing his wife. The good thing is the story didn't stop there. Uh, a couple of years after that, I got called to go to a church in Edmond, and I was the singles minister up there. And this man called me back, and he said, Mike, he said, you're not going to believe what's happened. He said, I met a lady who lost her husband about the same time I lost my wife. And she has a son, and she has a daughter, and her daughter is the same age as my daughter. And her daughter has the same name as my daughter. They both were named Rachel. And said, we've been dating, we've decided to get married now. And he said, I just want to know, would you be willing to come back down south and do our wedding? I said, yes, sir, I'd love to be a part of that. It's just uh, a real complete joy to see the the whole wheel of God's plan turning and moving. And 
what Satan tried to rob uh, him of, of joy. Uh, God just moved in a great way to, for him to see that God is sufficient in all things. And so I didn't understand. I had l- heard that truth. Uh, and I had heard people teach all these things about it, but I didn't begin to learn and understand that until I just went through all that experience. And then the Holy Spirit brought it back, said, this is what that's for. And this is what that means. And the reason why I share that is it might take weeks, months, or years before the Holy Spirit really quickens your spirit to say, this is what you need to learn from it. This is what you understand. But Jesus said real plainly, if you're going to obey me, hear my words and obey them. And if we do that, we can learn and understand the truth that God has for us. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of this where I said, Jesus said to his disciples in the beginning, as he called them out in ministry, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then as he left this earth, just before he left this earth, he said, go now and make disciples of all nations. So those two things are tied. It's basically the same command, but it's with a different emphasis of what it is. When he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, he was mentoring, he was training them. He wanted them to watch him. When it gets to Matthew 28, he's releasing them. He said, now what you've seen me do and what the words you've heard me speak, I want you to go and share those with others to make disciples of all nations. And, and again, in chapter 1 of Acts, uh, it talks right before Jesus ascended. He said, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Once we receive the Holy Spirit, when we hear God's word and obey it, then we're pleasing unto the Lord. We've emptied ourselves of our desires, our wants, our rights, our privileges, and say, yes, Lord. And when the Lord quickens our spirit to say, speak to this person about me, say the name of Jesus to this person, ask this person if you could pray for them. When we have the prompting of the Holy Spirit that we know comes from the word of God, and then we obey that, it might be minutes, days, or weeks later when the Spirit says, because you did that, here's what you've got to understand. So let's just obey uh, the, the plan that God has for us. Here, obey, and then leave the learning and understanding to the teacher, the Holy Spirit that God has put into us. Now, if this has touched your heart, again, we would appreciate it if you would rate this and review it and maybe even share it with others and pass it on, all for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and so that we can make disciples of all nations. Thank you and have a good day.